Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul has returned to Jerusalem after, after you know, years of being away on, on, on the mission field and, and traveling and all his journeys, and he's finally back, and he wants his chance to talk to the Jews. His desire and the Lord's desire is matched up. He loved his people so much, and he wanted them to see the truth of God. He had studied in Jerusalem. When he was a young man, he really turned from a, from a teenager or a young man into to an adult in Jerusalem. He was like the 4.0 student. I mean, he trained under some great guys. He learned how to debate the finer points of the, of the Jewish law. So therefore, he thought he knew what he was talking about. Now, when Jesus of, of Nazareth had started his ministry, Paul would, had been away. He was back in Tarsus, his hometown, and he, and he was teaching in the synagogues there. So he wasn't there when Jesus was there. And when he came back to Jerusalem, he found out that this group calling themselves uh, Christians, well, really, they weren't calling themselves Christians. Everybody else was calling them Christians, and it meant little Christ. And it was a negative term. But they took it on and said, yeah, we're Christians. They took it and turned it to a positive thing. But he found this group calling themselves Christians had really turned the world upside down in Jerusalem. I mean, there was an uproar that I mean, people were confused and, and, and because they want to stick with what they've known, their Jewishness. They wanted to stick with what they've grown up with. And here Christ came in and said, well, I'm God. And they said, well, wait a second, you're not God. And Christ said, yes, I am. And went through all that. And Christ died for our sins. So, so there was some, some confusion going on. And Saul saw that, and he said, you know, being the, the driven young man that he was, he said, well, I can do something about that. So he goes to the leadership and says, hey, guys, you know me. I grew up underneath you guys. You, you guys taught me. Let me go and take care of this. So the elders and the teachers said, sure. They gave him some soldiers, and, and Paul went out, or Saul at this point, went out on a crusade. In the next three or four chapters, we will hear him tell the story over and over again, about three times here, where he was hurting Christians, where he was coming at them, not just to hurt them, but to kill them for what they believed in. I can't help but uh, remember uh, the reports this week. Um, uh, I'm a news hound. I like to watch news. My wife gets tired of it, but I watch it. But there's a, a gentleman in Iran right now that is on trial. And he originally went on trial for being a Christian pastor. And they said, well, you used to be Muslim. And he said, well, as a child I was, but not as an adult. And they said, well, since you were a Muslim, you have to recant your faith or we are going to kill you. This is the same thing as, as what Paul was doing or Saul was doing back then. Saul was saying, you have to recant your faith or we're going to kill you. So this is what he did until he met Jesus. And when, you know, when did, when did he meet Jesus? When he met Jesus, things just changed. He was on the Damascus Road, and he was blinded, and was confronted by Christ. And now he is dedicated to Jesus. So those edges of his personality are starting to be conformed to the image of Christ. And later Paul will write to the, to the Galatians, Let me tell you about the fruit of the Spirit. 
There's love and peace and joy and, and, and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. You know, Paul has come a long ways now. He's been traveling all over the, the known world at this point, and he's back in Jerusalem. And he has this desire in him that before he lay down, uh, lays down and says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, he wants to reach his people, he wants to reach the Jews. It is the one thing in his life that has not been accomplished. It would be the crowning glory of his, of, you know, of his crown if he could accomplish this. Now, some of us could re, uh, you know, understand and relate to, to, relate to the Apostle Paul in this. Maybe there's, there's a place where you desire to go back to and talk to somebody about Christ. And here's a great example of somebody who had the desire and actually tried to go and do that. God told him, hey, you're, you're going to be going to Rome. But he still wanted to come to, to Jerusalem first, back to Israel. He, he went to the opposite direction to, you know, with, with great trouble, with great expense, with great you know, time, just for the opportunity to reach his people. So he arrives in Jerusalem and he's carrying a, a huge offering for the church there because they're being persecuted and they can't even get jobs. And he finds himself, you know, in the temple with some new believers, some, some new brothers. They'd shaved their heads and taken a vow. And, and, and some Jews from Asia spotted him and, and got really upset. And they grabbed him and, and they literally shoved him outside the, the temple grounds. They shut the temple door and all the Jews just, just mobbed him. The leadership started mobbing him, ready to kill him. Now Claudius uh, Lysias, the Roman commander looks down from the northeast corner of the Antonio Fortress. It's a fortress that was above the temple grounds, and he could kind of see what was going on. And, and he sees his mob starting to, to literally beat, you know, this little man. So he gets down there pretty quickly, and he, and he rescues this one. He doesn't want it to get, you know, out of control. It's feast time. There's a lot of people around, so the city is, is packed. And in fact, in AD 70, it does get out of control. And what do the Romans do? They go through and destroy everything. The temple, everything. So Paul is beat up at this point. And he goes, and the, the commander saves him. And, and while they were saving him, they literally put him up on the shoulders, and they were carrying him out, and Paul says, Hey, commander, can, can I talk to the people? And I can almost see the commander thinking, Okay, this ought to be fun. This, this, yeah, let's let him talk. Let's let him do this. So from the safety of the balcony, Paul starts to, to talk to the Jews. And this is where we pick up today in, in uh, uh, chapter 22, verse 1. It says, brothers and, uh, brothers and fathers, listen now to my d- defense. And Paul has been ready for this for a long time. You know, in fact, there's a lot of Bible critics that say that there's no way that he, you know, had all his thoughts later. This was all kind of, you know, put together later and they made it sound really good. No, Paul had been studying. He'd been ready for years to reach his people. He'd been preparing for this. And he goes on, he says, When they heard us speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Aramaic is the Hebrew language for them. And, and then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarshish of Cilicia, but brought up in the city, under Gelmo, Gel- I always pronounce this guy's name wrong. There you go. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and just as, as zealous for God as any of you are today. He's saying, I understand why you want to hit me. I understand why you want to beat me. I used to deliver these punches myself. 
I identify with the anger that's in your eyes. I know how you feel. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you be told all that has been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be a witness to all, of men, to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what you are waiting, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple... He's basically telling them, hey guys, when I returned and started praying, right here, guys, were you beating me up? You understand, guys? Right here? I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. It's interesting here. He basically says, I'm arguing with God. You know, when we argue with God, it always ends up with one or two things. First of all, God always allows us to argue with him. He does. We don't have to fear God so much that he says, you can't question me, you can't argue with me. But secondly, Paul is saying here, I argue all the time, but I never win. Who always wins when we argue with God? God does, yet he still allows it. Peter would tell you the same thing. The Lord allows it. And then over time, we start to see who's right. He is. But he says here in verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Oh, he brought in the dreaded G word. The dreaded G word's Gentile. Well, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. Translate this to modern day Muslim. They call infidels. They want to kill infidels. Who's an infidel? Anybody who's not Muslim. Same concept here. Anybody who is not a Jew was a Gentile. Here Paul is in the center of the center of the Jewish religion. In the center of the people who have misunderstood the grace of God, who have said, hey, we are God's only. God chose us, therefore no one else can be a part of us. 
You know, a few Gentiles were allowed if they followed all the rules correctly. But you, you see, they have misunderstood the entire Old Testament and what the Lord has said at this point. They thought that he meant, no one else will be my people. When he said, I want you guys to be my people so you can show the, show the world how I treat you, so therefore they'll want to be, be a part of you. That is what they're saying. I mean, that's what his intention was. Yet, they said, no, no, no. It's us against them. Even though the prophet said that the day will come when the floodgates will open and the Messiah will go to the Gentiles. Prophet after prophet said that. So here Paul is standing on the, the steps of the Antonio Fortress and the only Gentile part of the temple grounds. And now he's saying, Jesus represents God and that God said that the Messiah is going to go to the Gentiles. And at the word Gentiles, you know what the Jews would do? They'd spit. It'd be like, Gentile. They'd spit all over the ground. Because you didn't say the word Gentile without spitting. That's how much they hated these people. And they're going, I don't think so. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. <laughs> I love that. Rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. And they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust up in the air. And this is a very cultural thing to do. But, you know, it almost reminds me of a, a child's temper tantrum. You know, praise the Lord, Brandon hasn't got to that age yet. I know he'll get there. But he's not throwing his temper tantrums. You know, this is exactly what they're doing. They're, they're throwing their cloaks up in the air and putting dust on their head. and all. It's like, a, you know, a, a, an adult throwing a temper tantrum. I can't even say it anymore. I mean, it's just out of control. The crowd is starting to get bigger and more soldiers are, are starting to show up and they're kind of getting around the edges to, to contain this. But the Jews... They don't care. They're ready to fight. The commander, verse 24 says, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed, the, directed he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Now remember, Paul shifted to the language of Aramaic, right? The commander doesn't speak Aramaic. So he's going, okay, we just got to figure out what he said to him. They got them all upset, got them all riled up. We need to find out exactly what's going on here. You know, does this sound familiar at all? The commander taking somebody down into the barracks? 27 year, years earlier, who, who did they do this to? Jesus. It's going into the same barracks in the Antonio Fortress. You see, what is happening is here that, remember that Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem? And the disciples were not happy with this because they, you know, they didn't have a good feeling about this at all. There was a heaviness to, heaviness to it all. When Jesus came over the Mount of Olives, uh, you know, the, all the people are singing Hosanna, Hosanna, and, and doing the palm branches, and Jesus is riding in on the donkey, right? Riding in on the fowl. And they're all happy, all the people are shouting, they're all, you know, jubilee almost, and, and Jesus, what's he doing? He's crying over Jerusalem. There's a heaviness to it. Because they're lost. He is tried, and he ends up in the Antonio Fortress. What happens when the Antonio Fortress part is done? Jesus is crucified. So think about this. Paul, he comes into the city. He wants to reach his people, a lot like Christ. 
He goes to the temple just like Christ. There's an uproar. He gets arrested just like Christ. And now he's in the Antonio Fortress just like Christ. Does Paul know what's going to happen? No. He's holding on to what, he, what, what Christ said. Hey, you're going to Rome. But, but you know, he's got to be thinking, am I going to be crucified like Christ was? The Apostle Paul knows this all too well. He's never been inside the Antonio Fortress before. He sent many guys there. But he's never been there. Never walked in. He was a Jew. It wasn't kosher to be there. Now this flogging that they're preparing to give him, it's a very brutal thing. In fact, many people did not even survive the the flogging, the beatings. This is even worse than any beating he's ever received before. And at his age, he probably wouldn't survive. Verse 25, it goes on and says, As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't ever been found guilty? Or even been found guilty? He's like, I'm just curious here as you're tying me up. Because Paul didn't look Roman. He was just a little old guy. And, and next week we're going to talk about the description of, of Paul. It's a pretty funny description from, a, from a, a, a Jewish historian of the time. But he's just this little old guy. Now I can imagine Paul in his mind having this conversation with Jesus. Jesus, am I supposed to get out of this or am I supposed to go through this? Because Paul says that we have to you know, endure the suffering of Christ. And Paul's sitting there thinking, am I going to go through this or am I not? Am I supposed to try to get out of this or not? So he's talking with the Lord here. And he's going, Lord, I, I need a quick answer. Yes, no, or maybe, but, or wait, or I need something now. And the Lord says no. So Paul's like, oh, excuse me, pardon me. You're about to break the law. And I don't think you want to get in trouble with Nero because Nero's kind of crazy. And, you know, he's your emperor and, you know, he's the one, he's your Caesar. And and you don't want to get him upset. This will upset him. Is it legal? This stuff isn't used on a Roman citizen who's not found guilty. When the centurion heard this, and a centurion was a commander over 100 people. He's not a mindless follower. He's, you know, he's taught to think. He's an officer in a sense. And sometimes, you know, these officers, the centurions, were actually mayors of towns. In fact, one of the, the, the Jews actually look upon the centurions as, as, as a very positive thing. You think Roman centurions and the Jews getting along? Yeah, a lot of them did. In fact, the, the one that was uh, the mayor of um, Caesarea, what did he do? Out of his own money, he paid for the temple to be built. We visited that temple. They rebuilt it in the 4th century, but, it, you know, the, the foundation of the first temple is right there. He paid for that. They were educated men. They were the backbone of the Roman Empire. In fact, they were well regarded in Scripture. Many of these guys came to know Christ. So the centurion was like, whoa, 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 whoa. guys, back up. Hold on for a second. And everybody just kind of backs away for a moment. He went to the commander and reported it, it says. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. This is a very smart centurion. He's like, um, boss, this, this is what's going on, and I don't know if you want to do this. What, what, what do you want us to do? So the commander, and the commander's over 10 centurions, so he's over 1,000 soldiers here, went to the Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? 
Yes, I am, he answered. Now, if Paul is lying, as soon as the lie was exposed, he would be put to death. No trial, no whatever. You didn't have to carry papers to prove your citizenship. But believe me, they would check on it to find out. And as soon as they found out, if you lied to them about being a Roman citizen, instantly put to death. Are you a Roman citizen? He says, yes. Now, Paul's still tied up. The commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. Now, why is he saying this? He's looking at this scruffy little guy thinking, man, it must be a lot cheaper now. I don't know how you afforded it. What's he saying is, I had to buy mine. And we know that his name was Claudius Lysias. So his citizenship would have came from the emperor Claudius. But I was born a citizen, Paul says. Paul replied. What's going on here? They're trying to figure out who is who and what is what here. They're trying to, in a a sense, find the, the pecking order. What he just told the commander is according to law. And understanding is that Paul is actually the commander superior at this point. So this little guy is now starting to take charge. And it's important important for us to understand and see this. Paul is not doing this in an arrogant way or an offensive way. But he does exercise his rights as a citizen. Listen to me for a second. We are American citizens. There is a responsibility and a right that comes with that. We have rights. Find out what those rights are and stay within those rights. We don't do it arrogantly. We don't do it, you know, offensively. But we can use our freedom and our freedom of of being able to worship who we want to worship and when we want to worship to our advantage to show the world what Christ is like. Verse 29, it goes on and says, Those who who were about to question him withdrew immediately. In other words, they just kind of scampered off. They're like, we're not part of this. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in in chains. This is so funny to me. They were ready to beat Paul, and all of a sudden everybody's gone and the commander's left there. They're like, we want no part of it. This is on you. So they all take off. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly what Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before him. Now the guys coming in from the Sanhedrin and the the leaders of the Jews, they would not have been in a good mood. Because they would have walked in and they would have seen Paul not beaten. They would have seen Paul not in change, in chains, and they would have seen Paul standing in front of the commander. And this, you know, this guy, this Lysias, was was kind of afraid of Paul at this point. These people didn't know that Paul was a Roman citizen. They're just thinking that this guy is, a, you know, just a follower of Jesus that needs to be put to death. So it says here that Paul looked straight at them, at the Sanhedrin. And I'm, I bet you he's, he's saying in his mind, well, it didn't work out too well yesterday, but i got a second chance here. And says, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and all good conscience to this day. At that, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. 
Here's what's going on here. There's a very tense meeting happening. Paul is just, you know, Paul just kind of takes charge and, and the commander lets him. In fact, we'll find out the commander actually leaves the room and we'll find that out a little later because he has to come back in and, and rescue Paul again. But Paul kind of just, just takes charge here. So the high priest has somebody strike Paul and guess what, the, you know, and, and the, you know, this guy says, hey, just hit him. And they do. Now, Paul, probably not knowing, well, we know he, do, he knows that this guy is not the high priest at this point. Paul doesn't realize that the guy who said that was the high priest. He points at him and says, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now, this is not a good thing to say. Now, we think, no big deal. I mean, all our walls are white in the house. We like it that way. No, what, th- this is an insult to him. In the first century, you didn't call somebody that because the first century, you, you know, as a Jew, as a proper Jew, as, a, as one who followed the law, you didn't want to go, you didn't want to be de- defiled in any way. You didn't want to have to go through the, 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 oh, what is the word here? You know, go through all the, the, the stuff to, to become kosher again, to be able to go into the, to the temple. If you did touch a whitewashed wall, you were ceremonially unclean. And what this meant was anytime they buried somebody, they would take this white paint and, and they used uh, caves and stuff. They didn't bury them in the ground. They, they used caves and they would put the body in there and they'd roll stone or stack stones in front of it. And then they would take this paint and it was a whitewash paint and they'd put it all over the front of it. Well, over time, as the weather would, would weather away that paint, that whitewash wall, they would know, okay, when, that, when it was no longer whitewashed, they could go in there and take the bones and put them in a, a you know, an a osmus, a, a little uh, thing to hold the bones, which they would always uh, use for burials. So all the decaying was done. So therefore, you weren't unclean anymore. So he's basically saying, man, you're just a whitewashed wall. You're totally unclean. He's saying this to the chief priest. There's death inside of you. Stay away. He's saying, you look really good and clean from the outside, pal, but on the inside, mm. And what's he doing here? He's quoting Jesus. But he's also venting, which he actually apologizes for. And verse 4 says, those who were standing near Paul said, you dare insult the God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Paul is keeping his head here. We like it when he, when he reacts to him, but it really doesn't accomplish anything, does it? We like it when Paul goes, you whitewash, oh, I'm going to get you, but it really doesn't accomplish anything. So Paul kind of gets his head back here and it says, and Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees. Now, do you remember, we've gone over this before, Sadducees and the Pharisees. You kind of have the, the, the legalist and you have the, the ones that are, uh, you know, um, uh, more liberalist, and and I don't mean to to I don't think of liberals today Democrat. Okay, I'm just I'm using those two terms in a different way. A legalist and a liberalist. The, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They're pretty liberal in their thinking on this. They didn't believe in angels, spirits, miracles. Basically, in life, you see what you get, so you better grab for it. So in other words, don't leave anything behind. Just go for it. Live life to the fullest. Then these guys were like the religious leaders. 
the Sadducees. So, you know, we always say, how do you remember, you know, the Sadducees versus... Well, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. I know, that, that usually gets a laugh, but we've gone over it so many times, it doesn't anymore. They were sad, you see? Okay. The Pharisees were the opposite. They believed in all of this. So both these groups, they always fought back and forth. So Paul called out to the Sanhedrins, My brothers, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. So he basically takes sides. I'm a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. He's saying, hey guys, this is all about the resurrection. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Paul just says, this issue is about the resurrection. So talk amongst yourselves. Paul is really good here. He kind of turns it around, so he's no longer on trial. They're just fighting. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law uh, who were Pharisees stood up and argued uh, vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if it's a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Or what if a spirit or angel has spoken to him? The Pharisees are basically conceding right here that Jesus might be a spirit, he might be an angel. Now, they're not saying he's the son of God, but they're saying, hey, well, you know, this, might, this, this could have happened because he's a Pharisee. He's with us and we're against you. So you can see how it's kind of turned into this whole muddled thing here. They couldn't argue that Jesus, you know, resurrected from the dead because they were there. There were still guys alive and people in the city who had witnessed that resurrection. So they couldn't argue that point. So they figured, well, maybe he's a spirit. Maybe he's an angel. You know, 27 years ago, the, the, the council paid off the Roman soldiers to say his body was stolen. So, I mean, the, the, these guys are so just out of it when it comes to this. Verse 10, it goes on, it says, The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. Basically, he hears them below. So he, orders, he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Now let's get into Paul's head a little bit here. You know his head is just racing and his blood is pumping. He gets into the Roman barracks and, you know, how long does it, does it take a man who, who's just gotten all riled up and, and just, you know, all this stuff is going on, how long does it take him to calm down? Remember, Jesus wasn't saved like Paul's just being saved here. Jesus was crucified. So prob- probably, you know, Paul's sitting there thinking, am I on the same path as Jesus? He doesn't know. He hasn't read the rest of the book of Acts. You know, we read this stuff and we go right past it. But what do you think was going on inside of his head? Now, we don't know for sure, but we do get some hints here in a second. But I think he gets into the barracks and he finally gets all settled down. And he starts to get a little depressed, you know, a little depressed, a little, you know, melancholy. Lord, what are you doing Was I not supposed to come to Jerusalem? I mean, everywhere else I went, you didn't want me to go somewhere, you stopped me. So clearly you wanted me to come here. You wanted me to talk to my brothers, the Jews. But it seems like everybody's fighting me. Am I not supposed to be talking to the Jews? My people? And where am I now? In the only Roman place in the city. Are you not going to allow me to talk to my people? I didn't come here to fight, but that seems what everybody's doing. 
Now, those are just my thoughts of what Paul might have been thinking. So that's not Scripture. I don't want you to start thinking that. But it does say here in verse 11, The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. Take courage. Now, why does somebody come to you and say, Take courage? Maybe because you're discouraged? I mean, if you have a lot of courage, somebody doesn't come up to you and say, Take courage. No, you got to be the opposite. So apparently he was very discouraged at this point. You know, he's probably even depressed. Are, you dis- are, are, are any of you depressed this morning? Jesus comes and says, take courage. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. What is God doing here? You know, with Paul, he speaks in paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. God, he speaks in one-liners. God sits there and says, As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. And as anointed as Paul is, Jesus' words are so much more powerful. Take courage, Paul. You will succeed. Well, Jesus, I, I really don't feel like it right now. I think I've even failed. And he said, well, no, Paul, you've not failed. You've done what I've wanted. I will do the rest. So cheer up. You know, I sit with this this week, and you know what? I started thinking of us, you and me. We plan our lives out, and we think we know how it's going to go, don't we? You know, whether you have this 10-year plan or not, you kind of think, you, you know what direction you're headed, where you think, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and hopefully it's going to work out, and I'm going to do that. But guess what? How many of you can look back 10, 15 years down the road, you know, in your past and go, yeah, it worked out exactly how I thought it would 15 years ago. Life just isn't that way. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's just not. It's a one in a million that life turns out exactly how you plan it. And you've got to be really close to God for that to happen. You know, we say to the Lord, I failed you. And the Lord says, yeah, you've blown it a couple times, but guess what? It's okay. Because I have some plans for you. Follow me and I'll reveal those plans for you. See, Paul has been a believer for years. You would think that he would have all the courage he would ever need, wouldn't you think? Yeah. I mean, this is Paul. This is Paul. And he says, take courage. But I think the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we need to hear this. Because the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we start to depend on ourselves. Jesus helped us out in this situation. We go, okay, now I've learned from that situation. So therefore, I'm going to do it without Jesus. Because, you know, last time he handled it, but I saw how he handled it. So I can take care of that this time. We start to depend on ourselves and our own knowledge. We have got to start listening to the Lord. The Lord tells Paul, it is okay. We're going to go to Rome. You know what else he tells him? You've succeeded by my standards. The Lord says, my ways are not your ways. Paul succeeded in Jerusalem. Why? Because he was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to God. Are you being faithful to the calling that God has given you? Regardless of the the outcomes, regardless of the frustrations, are you being faithful to the calling that the Lord has given you? Jesus wants to come to you and say, cheer up, be faithful. 
Now we're going to go to Rome. Maybe not literally for you. Whatever Rome is that God has for you. Here's what's going to happen. Paul is going to hear some very discouraging stuff. And he can either be excited about going to Rome or focus on the stuff that's going to be very discouraging so he can stay discouraged. See, Paul does an amazing thing here. He stays focused on what Jesus is telling him. He won't go to Rome for a long time. But he knows he's going to be there. Why? Because God told him. If the Lord tells you something, keep faith. We need to start asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want from my life? Lord, where will I find vision and direction? And then when the Lord does tell you, stay focused. Well, we better finish up here. It says here in in verse 12, The next morning the Jews had formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. I mean, these guys are going to get really hungry because they never do kill Paul. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to, do, uh, not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now, what should these religious leaders have said to them? You did what? Are you an idiot? You don't take a, an oath before God for that? You're going to kill a guy in the name of God? That's wrong. But that's not what they said. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on a pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We were ready to kill him before he gets here. And they go along with it, okay? But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went to the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. And you see the the respect that Paul garners here. They actually do what he asked them to do. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on a pretext of wanting more accurate accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting to ambush him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. He then called two of the centurions and ordered them, Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to the governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows: uh, as follows, Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. And I love this. Apparently, Luke gets a copy of this letter somehow and gives it to us word for word here. And Claudius Lysias is not a believer, and yet his words are put in the Bible. I think that's kind of you know kind of cool. It says here, the man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him. I'm so great, aren't I? That's what he's telling the, you know, Felix. I came and I rescued him, for I learned that he was a Roman citizen. He kind of leaves out that I put him in chains before I learned he was a Roman citizen. See, so he kind of twisted a little bit, but he's making himself look good. It says, 
I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to the Sanhedrin. I found that the accusations had to do with questions about the law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of the plot to be carried out against this man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accuser to to present to you the case against him. So the soldiers carrying out the orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as uh, Antipatris. And this is 40 miles they go that night. I mean, they're, they're moving pretty quickly. They're trucking. It says, the next day they let the cavalry go on with him, and they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor handed it, handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Sicilia, uh, uh, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. And next week I'm going to show you some pictures of the palace that we would have been talking about. I'll even show you the hot tub that was there that's still there today. But this is a very nice lodging for Paul. I wish I could finish the story, but we're really out of time. And next Sunday we're going to study Acts 24. It's a fascinating story that comes to a conclusion. But we see Paul in very stressful situations. We see Paul in prayer. And we see him being directed by the Lord just as we are. You know, I don't know where the Lord will direct you this week. But I do know one thing. He can't direct you unless you're willing to be directed. You know, if you're in a band, think back to high school, all the band members, there's a director to that band. Why? Well, they go to halftime show. If they don't do what the director asks them to do, it'll be chaos on the field. In fact, okay, I should, okay, I'll say this. We were, uh, I was at Texas, I mean, University of Houston, and we were playing Texas A&M one year at Rice Stadium. And they do this whole drill thing where the, the, the director has a whistle, and he would whistle, and they would do something, and the whole thing was done by a whistle. Well, guess what? A whole bunch of our people brought whistles. It was chaos on the field. They didn't listen to the director. They were listening to everybody else. Well, guess what? If we don't listen to the director of our lives, it's chaos. Chaos. I don't know what stressful thing you're going to face this week. It could be just as bad as what Paul's going through, or even worse. But the Lord can save you if you're willing to be directed. Let's pray. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, much less tomorrow in our lives. I pray that we get to a place in our relationship with you that we are directed by you, that we're willing to listen to you, that we're willing to implement those, those attributes that you have into our own lives, love and peace and joy and meekness and kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. I pray that we're ready and willing to receive you when you have a word for us. Pray for those that that need to hear the words, take courage. They will really take that from you, Lord, and stand up and say, you know what? This life may be miserable this second, but I take courage because I know that the Lord has saved me. Saved me. Mm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, even in your discouragement, that you look up and you will see Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.